Kelly Bauer again, coming to you with a new episode of Meeting This Moment podcast. And I'm really excited to introduce to you a pretty wonderful young woman named Marina Hartzel Gallegos. And she happens to have been a student of mine way back when, when she was a fourth grader. And she is now a professional and a creative. I'm very excited to kind of do a deep dive into this essential to meet this moment called empathy. Empathy is a bit of a buzzword in a lot of circles, especially in education, Uh, but rightly so. It's, it's a really important piece of the puzzle when it, when we're uh, talking about solutions to move ourselves forward, especially through this time, but just always it's, it's a, an essential component to making authentic human connections with each other, especially when people are hurting, or especially when we have differences of opinion, which I'm not sure if you've noticed lately, but there seem to be some differing opinions out there. So without further ado, let's talk to Marina. I think that she's going to be able to offer us a really unique, youthful, and professional perspective on how a creative learner and professional views empathy. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Do you mind telling us what I missed in terms of an introduction or maybe even start with kind of your path? Sure. Yes. So I am uh, an illustrator and designer, but I also have a love for um, stop motion animation. And I graduated in 2019 from Washington University in St. Louis. And now I am in Brooklyn, New York, just sort of figuring things out, seeing what opportunities are out here for me, and uh, just just riding the wave, trying to trying to meet this moment that we're in. <laughs> yeah, riding the wave. It feels like that, doesn't it, right now? Yeah, totally. In my mind, I've been thinking, how was this move for you? I mean, you're we're in a pandemic. Uh, you're moving away from uh, a family and a, kind of a, a home, you know, town and you're in this really new place how was that for you it it was it was really interesting actually because I think it felt it felt very natural almost I I was home for a year after I graduated um and saving up money I'll just again trying to figure things out and then I was planning on going to Spain in May uh because my family's getting citizenship and I just sort of thought when else am I gonna be able to just pick up and go to Spain. Um, but then the pandemic happened. And so I was at home longer than I expected to be. And I could just, I just felt ready. I felt ready to move forward. I was feeling really stuck. So it was very like an instinctual decision to just kind of pick up and go. Um, it has been good. I think, you know, it's definitely not been the easiest with everything going on right now. And, but still being in a place in like New York. So it's been nice here because, because even though there are fewer opportunities because of the pandemic, there's still so much more in New York. So I feel lucky that I'm able to be in a space where there's always new things popping up. So I'm attuned to the fact that you've said the word opportunity a couple of times because I've been thinking about that too. Mm-hmm. And so what I tried to do, speaking of empathy, is when I called you and said, hey, do you want to do this, Marina? I was kind of putting myself back into the place of, uh, you know, like a 22 or 23 year old person who has, is kind of 
starting their, you know, their adult journey into the world Mm -hmm. and their career and kind of finding their path. And um, I thought of opportunity right away because when I was 22, I got married, moved out of my uh, parents' house. I was living with my mom and dad, Uh, had never really had an actual full-time job. And I really loved learning. I loved school. I found myself in Dallas, Texas, because my wife was in graduate school there. You encapsulate it really well in the fact that it's just, it's opportunity. And you're in a place in your Mm -hmm. life where opportunity abounds, you know, it's just, it's there. And so I'm really excited for you to be experiencing that in such a cool place. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited too. It's been fun so far. What is your intention or goal for your move? Is it career related? I mean, you said that it was your instinct. What was it in your gut that said, okay, New York? Well, it was, it was in my gut just that I had to go somewhere else. I was actually thinking between Portland because Portland has, um, it's kind of the hub for stop motion and then LA just because they do a lot in animation and then, um, New York because it's just, you know, there's so much art going on, but I just chose New York because that was where I, um, knew the most people because, um, I'm also just trying to network and figure out how the world works a little bit. I feel like I, the more I learn about how things happen and how things are made, I, the more I realize obviously how little I know. So I think I'm just trying to soak up as much knowledge as possible. And so I, I basically just said New York because that's where I would have more connections. Very cool. Okay. Uh, I also like that you said, uh, you talked about storytelling. Is that something that's important to you in your work? Yes, I think. Yeah, I would say so. I always love images that even if it's just an image, you sort of get a a whole narrative from it just by looking at it. Or you can sort of imagine the world that it exists in. I think um, storytelling is definitely something I'm really interested in. Just trying to practice getting better at it. It's definitely a skill for sure. Um, what's your medium? You know, like when you're inspired, what do you pick up? Typically when I, it depends on what I'm drawing, I guess, uh, or what I'm trying to do in school. When I was in college, my medium was definitely, um, ink, uh, either India ink and a brush or just micron pens on paper. And then I would scan those and then color it all digitally. But recently I've been loving Posca markers. They're these acrylic markers and I'll do these fun patterns with them. They're totally abstract, but those I love to do when I'm just sitting watching TV, just wanting to like do something with my hands. Um, and so I'll just make these fun patterns and then, and then for more, I guess maybe more storytelling, like I love to do that in a, in a stop motion format. So for my capstone project, I did a, a parody of Alvin and the chipmunks where they were monks. So they were chipmunks. And then that was made with a lot of different materials, but I had the puppets were clay on metal, little armatures with felt clothing. Yeah. So that's what I use mostly for those. And then the sets were made out of all different stuff. I really like a lot about Alvin and the Chipmunks. The <laughs> it does definitely tell a story. The audio is really beautiful in it too, and it's interesting how you're able to get an inanimate object to emote. Yes. And so, congrats because I could not do anything like that. Oh, thank you so much. No, that is absolutely one of my favorite things about animation is that you you sort of feel like, or I, at least I do a little bit like Doctor Frankenstein, like you're kind of bringing something to life that you've hmm. mishmashed together, and then to see it 
have feeling and like sort of emotion. And I think that plays into empathy. Like, you know, it's totally not alive. It's not a real thing at all, but because you make it look like it is, you feel like it is, or like you can sort of, you know, put your own feelings, how you would feel if you were this little puppet and it makes it so much more special and realistic. Okay. I like that. I like that answer. So you're in this really beautiful, beautiful city and it's, uh, you're surrounded by a lot of, um, history and Mm -hmm. different, uh, people and cultures, probably a lot of, um, of everything, every spectrum of, you know, what's going on in humanity. Yeah. Do you find yourself pulling in like vignettes of your looking around and like, wow. And then bringing that into your work? Yeah, definitely. What I tend to do a lot is whenever I'm walking past something and I, you know, it'll just strike me as it's either really pretty or the building maybe is really interesting or it's just something I've never seen before. Maybe just like a collection of colors. It could be anything. If it just catches my eye, I'd love to um, just take a picture of it with my phone and then I'll come home and I'll um, recreate it uh, because you know, the picture for me at least never captures how I, it initially struck me. And so then I love to try and recreate it by drawing it, but being able to put that feeling that I felt when I saw it into the picture. So Marina, I love hearing your story and I love you telling me about process and what inspires you and then what you do with it once, once you've got it. Can you tell me a little bit about empathy and why that means something to you and why when your fourth grade teacher from many years ago out of the blue asks you to be on a podcast, you chose that. Yeah, definitely. It has just been on my mind a lot recently. This past year, I was I was working at a place called Children's Choice, which is a daycare aftercare kind of program in public elementary schools in Albuquerque. And they make it just really got me thinking about how important it is when you're trying to like connect with other people, especially children and figuring out just why we do the things we do, why we react the way we do. So you were able to put empathy into your toolkit as an educator. Mm -hmm. How did it help you with those kids? I think it helped me because when a kid comes to you, and you know they're crying or they're upset about something it's so natural for us just to be like oh I'm so sorry and not that saying sorry is bad but it's just not productive or helpful because obviously you're not the one that caused them the issue um there's nothing for you to be apologizing for so instead try and like guess how they're feeling like if they come to you and say um you know so and so is not sharing the toy you know I'm really upset because they're not letting me play so, so then you can say something like, um, oh, that must make you feel left out or maybe you're, maybe you feel really frustrated or you don't feel included or, you know, whatever, just trying to like guess at what the actual root of the issue might be. And it gets them thinking about what they're actually feeling. So then you have a better basis to start helping them with their problem. And you might not always say the right thing to somebody when they're like in crisis or having an issue but the fact that you're trying to be empathetic is what matters most and then in that video that you sent me actually I loved that an empathetic response never will start with at least it's not as bad as this or it could be worse or something like that just being able to connect with people better and de-escalate situations and really also have to put yourself in their shoes and be like oh if this happened to me how would I be feeling and I think that's just so important especially now when tensions are so high. It's 
great to know how to connect with people better. Yeah. And I think, I think what I hear you saying is it's not about saying sorry, because to me, that's sympathy. Like, Oh, I'm so sorry for, sorry for your loss, sympathy cards. I'm so sorry. You feel bad because to me with sympathy, it's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. That's sad. But then the conversation stops. So it's like, I'm sorry. And now I'll, I'll see you later. But to me, empathy, the example, and I think you used a really good example uh, because it's about the, the practice or the act of you trying to figure out what it is and then do something with it, yeah. you know, and then with children or I think with anyone, I think you're onto something in the fact that when you go through that process with them, you're modeling it. And so even if you name the wrong emotion, maybe you just went through three or four words that they wouldn't have even thought of that yeah. now they have for the next time. So I think your example was a good one. You probably helped a few young children, several young children through that process enough to where they're going to leave it being able to do better next time. And they might just kind of mimic what you did mm-hmm. for somebody else uh, when their brains are developmentally ready to take it to the next level, like, like you are doing. Okay. I mean, I definitely still use those skills when just talking to friends or anyone because everybody needs empathy. <laughs> I really don't mean to be dwelling on negative things, but I think there's, mm-hmm. I'm personally feeling like there's a lot of hurt in the world right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you're living in a, a city that has gone through a pretty significant crisis and is, is mm-hmm. still undergoing this, this kind of traumatic experience together. We just went yeah. through probably the most um, contentious uh, election that we've ever gone through. And the flip side of that was though, that more people voted than ever in the history of our mm-hmm. country. Yeah. Um, and then this pandemic right now, as we speak, is killing thousands of people a day. And so we're about to move into pandemic wise, kind of a dark winter. Mm-hmm. And it's not my natural state to go into these negative things. So I would much rather just talk about these fun examples of you with the kids. But can you give me an example in your real life of where you think, okay, empathy is the answer to X, Y, Z in this world we're in right now? I guess just, I think being in New York when the pandemic first started was very, very traumatizing. Um, I mean, it was traumatizing for everyone, but at least for me in New Mexico, I think the full impact didn't quite hit me when it first started. But in New York, you know, that's where it was the worst at the beginning. And you're so close to everyone. It's really unavoidable to not confront it pretty much every hour. And I think when I was in New Mexico, when it first happened, it was, well, I'm just going to stay in my house and watch TV. I wasn't having to like really face everything that was happening as much as I think people here in New York were because everyone's just so packed tightly together. And so after coming here and, you know, meeting people that were here when it first happened, you can tell that there's definitely a lot of residual trauma and just being empathetic towards that and understanding that their experience with the pandemic has been different than my experience with the pandemic, you know, having these conversations and I think everyone's had a very different relationship with what's going on. And so understanding that even though maybe you don't feel that it was as bad or something or. Marina, what I really like about what you just said is that when I think about it, I try to say, well, we're all going through this. So I know how you're feeling. It's easy to fall into that place. And then yeah. for you to say, well, well, hold on. You're experiencing this completely different than I am. And I know that, or I acknowledge it. Yeah. I think that's powerful. That's a good reminder. So I think people will appreciate that. Good, thank you. I want to ask you about this concept of radical empathy that yeah. you brought up to me when we mm-hmm. first talked 
What is that? So I first heard about um, radical empathy when I was in school at WashU. I was a part of a club called Kumba Talks, where we would nominate seniors to give talks for 15 minutes about whatever they wanted to talk about. And one time, this girl talked about radical empathy. And I had never heard about it before. And she was talking about having radical empathy for her parents because um, when she came out to them, they did not accept her and they pretty much disowned her but she still wanted to they're still her parents and so she still wanted to have a relationship with them so she said that she practices radical empathy meaning that she knows that she can't change them that you know they are who they are but she still if she wants to have a relationship with them then she needs to accept that and then set her own boundaries to make sure that she's not getting hurt that way that they can hopefully move forward and have a relationship so the first time I heard about it, I was honest, so resistant to it. I was like, your parents should be the one practicing radical empathy towards you. Like, why are you the one that's having to put in all of this work and be so mature so that you can have a relationship with them? And so when I first heard about it, I was, I was like, I don't get it. That's a lot. <laughs> but then the more and more I've been thinking about it, that's it's just so, I think it's really powerful to be able to, to radically empathize with somebody. Because usually if you're practicing radical empathy that means that this person probably might have hurt you in some way or there's a boundary that you need to just accept in order to like move forward so that's not that's not easy at all yeah that's interesting that you say that you weren't for it at first so you're saying that you have to do that yeah so I have to confess and I think this is important for uh, Mm -hmm. educators and just people to do is own the fact that you don't know something. So I didn't know much about radical empathy. So I had to Google it. That's so there you go. I'm embarrassed to say that I wasn't, you know, the guru on radical empathy. (laughs) It was super fun to learn about because that's how you learn. Yeah. When I was researching it, and then I had your story in my head. One of my favorite resources came from uh, the Berkeley Greater Good magazine. And then it was really fun to take it to radical empathy because it seems like a next level type of thing. And so what I liked, if you don't mind, I'm just going to tell you what I liked about their definition of empathy. So empathy is the ability to sense others' emotions and imagine what it would feel like if you were them. And then they broke it down into two categories of empathy, which is affective and then cognitive. So the affective is actually feeling the sensations in your body and then cognitive perspective taking within your mind, like, okay, I can wrap my head around what this person must be going through. And that's all well and good. You were probably sitting in that audience, empathizing with that senior talk, giving her talk, but then she took it to the next level, which is radical empathy in my mind sounds like empathy in action. It's like empathy as a starting point to do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a change in behavior or an attempt to connect or uh, an attempt to move out of your comfort zone. And so it sounds to me like that's what this woman was doing. Yeah. After that happened, were radical empathy ideas kind of all over the place once you saw that? Totally. And I think also, do you remember my dad? Very well. Did you know my dad very well? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> um, do you know about his like alcoholism and yeah, so he's, he's pretty sick. He's a, has, uh, he's a pretty severe alcoholic. And so I think why I was so resistant when I first heard, 
her talk about radical empathy is because sort of like hitting home with that relationship with a parent, shouldn't it be their job to have a relationship with you? Because me and my dad, you know, definitely have a very touch and go sort of thing. Like I just speak to him if he's sober and stuff like that. And so it's, it was pretty rocky. And so I think that's why I was so resistant because I was sort of putting myself and I was like, well, then if, if this was our scenario, shouldn't he be the one trying to reach out to me and fix things with me instead of doing it the other way. But then once I heard her talk and like, you know, let it marinate. And then, like you said, just sort of seeing these things pop up, it made me think about what it must be like for him to just to have this, you know, disease and to kind of have nobody in your corner either. You know, he's pretty alone. And then I started doing my own research on addiction and learning about how it works and how it affects the brain and also learning about rehab in this country is awful. <laughs> like it, um, there's a great, uh, reply all episode. It was all about, um, rehab facilities. This one was specifically in Florida. Anyway, it's just a huge mess. And I had no idea that there's really no help for, um, people suffering with addiction. Like it's so, so hard. And so long story short, I started being much more empathetic towards him, even though it was, it's definitely still a really tricky relationship. And so I've been trying to practice radical empathy towards my dad in order for us to just have some kind of amicable relationship. And, but also it, it also has made me feel better about the situation because now I know where he's coming from and I know that he's just, he's sick and that there's, there's so little help for him and it just helps me know better what the situation is and, and feel less hurt because I now know more about what's happening. I appreciate you sharing that with me. That's a really, I think, poignant example in a person's life. When I think about you and your dad, see, I'm a crier, so watch out. No, me too, me too. <laughs> I remember you and your dad when you were nine. It stands out to me. I actually believe that he came with us to uh, Fenton Ranch. Yeah, he probably he might have one time. He might have. I, I I don't remember exactly, but so just for context, Marina, you were a student at uh, Manzano Day School in Albuquerque, and I was teaching there. And one of so there are a lot of things I love about that school, but one of my favorite things about that school is that they have a ranch. I mean, it's a beautiful property in the Hemis Mountains. And talk about experiential learning. We got to go there and you'd sleep there. You'd sleep over yeah. for two nights and three days. And it was really fun. You'd learn about in the environment. You'd learn about, there was a curriculum, but then there was this side curriculum of life, like going on a sleepover and uh, dealing with your classmates keeping you up all night or missing your mom or, you know, whatever it might be, sharing food. I was not a parent at the time, but I watched a lot of parents with their kids. So their so parents would come as chaperones. And there were some really significant times for me when I watched moms and dads up there because I watched them pretty closely uh, because first of all, I was just curious because I didn't know them uh, very well and I knew their kids pretty well. And secondly, it's kind of like putting yourself in that place because at the time we were thinking about having kids. So there are people I remember. One of them happens to be your dad, but... 
just little vignettes, just for your sake. For me, it's like a, a little time capsule of, I saw a lot of love for you through your dad. He was also really cool. Like he was fun to be around. No, he's, he's a really great person. Um, yeah, he was funny. I'm saying he was because that's when I remember him. <laughs> he, I'm sure he still is super funny. And he's, I always liked it. I thought it was cool that he was an educator. I loved the way he interacted with you because he, I could tell he just, I could just tell he adored you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. anyway, I just wanted you to know that I remember that of your dad. No, I, I really appreciate that because sometimes it can be hard to remember those days, but he is still, um, I think, a great person. It's just alcoholism is a nasty, nasty disease. He's definitely changed a lot, but I can, he, he still some, got some of that in him. So yeah. Thank you for, thank you for telling me that. Yeah, you're welcome. And I think that your parents, uh, just biologically and just in their souls, instilled a lot of um, great things into you and your sister. Um, oh, and you. so they, I'm sure they're very proud of you, but, <laughs> and I'm, I'm thankful to them too, because I think in all of our strengths and weaknesses as parents, living life and doing what we can for our kids, I see a lot of good things in you as a product of that too. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, okay, this idea of radical empathy, you just gave me an example of taking empathy into action personally. And that was not easy. I bet people listening to a podcast about empathy might be feeling what you're feeling when you said that. So thanks for sharing. It sounds like you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I love podcasts, yeah. Uh, does this ever happen to you where you just, you get hit by a really heavy one and you get goosebumps or like cry or laugh oh, or whatever. totally absolutely yeah that's because you're super empathetic <laughs> yeah isn't that powerful that you're not in the same room you don't know the person you can't even see them on a screen yeah but you can it's in your body you're, you're feeling it yeah definitely so i think it's really really powerful Now it's time for the fun part of this podcast where we get to see Marina's art while she talks about it. So if you are not in front of your phone or some type of device to view these photos of her work, please find one and get to the link that's provided in the show notes. It'll also be on my website on engageandeducate.com and follow along while Marina talks about her work. Thanks. Marina, you just talked about connecting and you talked about telling a story and you talked about feeling stuck. I actually looked at your work and I researched it and I picked out ones that I wanted to share. Ah, okay, cool. You want to? Yes, definitely. No, I would love to. Absolutely. So you actually talked about being stuck. You said stuck yes. earlier. So I'm looking at this, this series that you did on stuck. Tell me about this. Um, I'm trying to remember how I like got the idea. I was just sort of thinking about what it was like to be in quarantine. And I had a, I had a lot of different ideas. And how I ended up on this one was I liked how it was less literal. But it's just sort of about you're in your house. You're kind of like looking outside, wanting to be outside. And then just kind of taking it to a weird sort of surreal extreme like you're stuck in the house and then you are now I don't know stuck in the window I, I wish I could explain it better but it was just sort of like 
I was, I feel like I was just having one of those moments where I was staring out the window. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what it's about. But the first three were my favorite because I think actually those first three panels actually capture more of what I was feeling of just these just shots inside, but they're all have a little bit of outside. You know what I mean? It's just. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, we're inside looking out. Yeah. And can I tell you what struck me about this one? Yes, please. Definitely. That's an orchid, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Orchids come in, like they bloom and then they die and then they bloom and they die. We have a window box downstairs. Nice. And I love it because it's my favorite part of the house. And I, I have several orchids and... Both my wife and I on separate occasions and a good colleague friend of mine mentioned that all three of us separately have linked where we were mentally and emotionally at the time with whether or not that thing was Mm -hmm. flowering. It's kind of, do you remember like E.T.? Yeah, yeah. E.T.'s dying and then the plant starts dying and then E.T.'s alive and it's vibrant. So I don't know, did you, were you thinking that when you uh, composed this piece? Yeah, um, I, I first of all, love hearing um, you, like, connecting so much with, like, that just, as an artist, makes, is exactly what, you know, you would hope for, that you see this and you have your own feelings and thoughts and, like, relationship with the image. Because honestly, for me, like, um, truly on a first instinctual basis, I just thought it was pretty. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's an orchid in my house, my mom. Um, Mama's pretty good at keeping the orchids alive. She does the ice tricks. She puts the ice cubes in them. Oh, I've um, heard that. I don't do that. I yeah. That. Well, I hear people say, some. I think it works for some people. It doesn't work for other people. I've definitely heard some controversy over the ice. But, uh, but yeah, I always, I think, and also part of it is I think of, you know, my mom when I, like, look at the orchids and stuff because they're really hurt. Because she, she's so attached to them, too. She, she gets so excited when the orchids bloom again and, stuff like that and so and it's in our kitchen table where we all sit and hang out a lot so I'm always looking at that orchid and so I think just personally it was like I'm always looking at this orchid and it's also just a pretty orchid <laughs> isn't it yeah I don't have a purple orchid I want a purple orchid I um, might have you know fudged the colors a little bit to fit with the scheme, hey, but <laughs> that's your uh, that's your prerogative you're the artist Marina, I'm looking at a piece called Rolling Blackouts. Yes. So the way I connected with this is living in California, we would get notices on our phone that a rolling blackout was coming. Oh, wow. And it was always stressed me out because it was always on the hottest, hottest days because everybody, that's why we had the rolling blackout. So this one mm-hmm. I connected with. Okay, Marina, can we do another one? Please, yeah talking about empathy i'm doing my research on you because you're the, the star and i saw this mm-hmm. piece and i thought "Ooh, this has to be shown uh when we talk about empathy tell me about it during the pandemic i learned so much more about the navajo nation and different like other reservations in new mexico and just how hard they were hit by this pandemic because they just don't have access to basic um essentials necessities as clean running water and it's on the Navajo reservation and this is it's just like a a well because I was watching these videos there's a amazing nonprofit um called the Navajo Water Project which is trying to bring running water to people of the Navajo Nation 
And so this was to just hopefully raise awareness and educate a bit. And I've been donating monthly. They, you can set up a thing where, it, you know, every month it's just like a small, like $5 donation um, because it doesn't take that much money at all to bring running water to families. So I advanced the slide here to this next piece on Instagram. Tell me about this one. What, why was it important to you to uh, put these, uh, this message here? So it's just as running water is a human right. And, and it's not even just, you know, the Navajo Nation or other reservations that don't have running water, like places all around the United States don't have access to running water. And, you know, we're theoretically one of the richest countries in the world and people don't, don't have clean water, which is number one, I feel like fundamental basic necessity. So, so that's why this one has the words just to make sure that there's the context for this piece. I like it. I, I think it's communicating a lot and I appreciate you telling me about this Navajo water project, this um, what sounds like a really good uh, organization. Yeah, so uh, reading about this Navajo water project, it sounds like a really great organization and it sounds like a really meaningful project. And if you're interested, everybody, it's NavajoWaterProject.org. You can go in there and read all about it and and see what um, you know even a small donation would do in terms of affecting the day-to-day lives of a lot of people. And Marina, I am also thinking about this recent piece that you did called Sacred View or a series of pieces. Um, do you want to tell me about it? Yes, absolutely. So this series is based off of photographs I took when I was living in LA in the summer of 2017. I was living in the basement of this old man's house um, because I'd gotten a job in LA and I just needed a place for two months. And he lived though on this on top of this hill with this gorgeous, gorgeous view. And um, every day when I drive up, it's like at the top of this very steep hill, so you don't see anything. And then all of a sudden you come over and it's just this beautiful view. But there was also this massive neon cross that you would see and it just uh, stood out. Um, It was like a great focal point for the rest of the landscape. And so I, any time of day, I just thought it was the most beautiful view. Just coming over that hill every single time was just kind of like a a moment of awe. And it was kind of a stressful summer. And so it was nice, though, to be, I think it was pretty grounding. And um, I'm not a religious person, but there was something about seeing the cross and just, it it was just kind of very spiritual coming over that hill. And so I wanted to do a series that captured this view at different times of day. And um, and so this is just two, I still have more to do, but it was also for me a study on light and trying to capture light well, because I think lighting is so, so, so important when it comes to trying to um, elicit a feeling or a mood, because it changes the colors of everything the light does. And so it was also for me just kind of a practice on seeing if I can really capture a time of day and a mood and a feeling and trying to replicate how I felt when I came over that hill every day. I like it, Marina. These are beautiful. And I like that um, the, what was striking to me were the the changes in the the whole scene changed just based on the light. And yeah. I, could, I could tell right away that that's what you were going for. But I didn't know the backstory of coming over that hill and having that grounding moment of seeing that 
across uh, in the distance. And so that was fun to hear. Yeah. Okay, can we do another one? Definitely. Is this stressful to you, Marina? As most things are with me, um, they uh, everything worthwhile causes me stress, but it's always so fun in the end. I, you know, whenever something sort of new or different or something I'm not very, I don't think I'm very strong at, which for me, I don't think I'm very strong at public speaking and, or just like expressing myself verbally very well. That's why I like to draw because I don't find myself to be a very strong orator. I hate to differ with you, but you've got it wrong. You are really good at this. <laughs> I've always been a huge fan of you since you were tiny. Your voice was small. Yeah. And you were small. Um, and you never took up a lot of space or oxygen out of a room, right? Of a classroom. Yeah. But for people that were attuned, you you really did shine. And your your written work was also really good. If you just listen, you had a really powerful voice in your writing. Uh, you had a stellar, dry, very funny, observant uh, sense of humor. And so you didn't have to be the noisy person in the room to stand out in your own way. So just remember that. Wow, thank you. That really, really means a lot to me. Thank you so much for saying that. Because the noisiest person in the room is not always the one you should be listening to. <laughs> Can we do this one? Yes, definitely. So... First of all, Marina, this is Italian, and I don't know what sotto la stessa luna means, so help me out. It just means um, under the same moon. So nice. Okay, yeah, so this is what um, a series of pieces I did when I was studying abroad in Florence. And so when I was in Florence, you know, so it was so radically different in some ways from New Mexico. Like, I remember buildings being so close together. It it was unimaginable to me how they could have possibly built it. And these teeny roads um, that were never meant for cars and the smell, it smelled old. It smelled really old. And so there's lots of things that were just totally, completely different. Sometimes I felt like I was on a movie set. It seemed so unrealistic almost just because I'd never been somewhere like that before. But the more I was there, the longer I was there and the more I saw and looked around, I was actually seeing so many parallels to my home, to New Mexico. And that was really wonderful that I could be in some place so radically different, or, you know, to me, so radically different, but also get a sense of home and, you know, seeing these similarities between these two different places with such totally different histories. I mean, it was, it was obvious to me that that was your intent and uh, your you know, what you were feeling at the time. I mean, I would have never thought to take these two types of places and make that connection, but you did it so well that I felt like if you're doing a piece on empathy, you got to show this one because, and even the title you chose under the same moon, you know, that's a, that's a unifying statement and mm -hmm. you're trying to connect some places and some people. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was really, really fun to do. It's so funny because, so my mother-in-law, uh, Carol Carpenter, she's a pretty well-known mm -hmm. and just very gifted watercolor artist in New Mexico. And she paints a lot of Acoma Pueblo, Taos, Santa Fe, Albuquerque. And there's a lot of what you see on, on your screen on the right. And she loves to paint 
she said what she loves about New Mexico is that uh, nothing's just straight. There yeah. are dynamic lines and broken lines, and it's just uh, there's a beauty to to the way the the way that looks. And what I like is that you were able to capture your home, but then connect it to this place that has hundreds of years of completely different history. Yeah. So kudos to you. I think it was really well done. And I just felt like this had to be something that was shown uh, when doing a piece on empathy. And this picture in New Mexico is about to be seen and most of the world doesn't know anything about it. Can you tell me what those little weird things are on the right-hand side? <laughs> yes, yes, uh, those are luminarias. Um, people put them up every holiday season around Christmas, and they're um, brown paper bags filled with sand at the bottom with candles inside. And you put them all over the street and on top of buildings, and they're these just beautiful little lights. Well said. I think they're beautiful, too, and that's one thing I'm going to miss about uh, this Christmas. Me, too, me, too. Well, Marina, I am so happy that you accepted my invitation to do this. And I think there was not a better person to tell people about empathy. Wow. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I really had such a good time. Your art is beautiful because it is got a lot of empathy in it, but it also just it has a lot of um, different stories to tell. And I love that you are constantly moving toward a new space and a new opportunity. I'm excited to see what you're going to do with uh, stop motion animation. And it sounds to me like you have a lot of passion around that and, you know, things that are related to that. So I look forward to seeing what stories you tell through your art. And I think that whoever hires you in New York is going to be really fortunate and will be pleasantly surprised to find uh, a lot of facets about you that they don't know yet through your art and just through who you are as a person. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I wish you a very happy holiday season and a happy new year. And um, people like you in, in the place they are in their lives remind me to have hope and uh, be excited for something like 2021. But also just people like you give me hope and hopefully will give a lot of listeners hope for um, this next generation of leaders and artists and storytellers because you are it. So thank you yeah. for doing this. Thank you for doing this. I mean, I think this podcast is such an amazing idea. And listening to the earlier episodes, I'm so excited for all the people you're going to talk to and all the stuff you're going to talk about. So I'm really excited for you. This is really awesome. And again, I'm honored to be on. Well, everyone, they say that you can uh, hear a smile over the phone and hopefully you can hear it over a podcast because I am so proud of this young woman and I think that she is uh, a person who whose voice really matters and I hope that you are inspired by this uh, young professional and artists uh, take on empathy and radical empathy and what it means and I hope that you were able to make some connections in your own life to it and move forward with that action piece of radical empathy so this idea of empathy and being able to feel what others feel and understand and take their perspective, but then take the next step into doing something about it, just like Marina was talking about. Thank you so much, Marina Hartzel-Gallegos. 
here's to a really wonderful holiday season, whatever you may or may not celebrate, and also to a really wonderful new year. So with that, I say goodbye, and I will talk to you next time.